welcome to the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Jeff Lemkuler, Extension Professor at the University of Kentucky, and I'll be your host for the Beef Bits Podcast. I'll be joined by colleagues and other guests to share general beef cattle management and production tips. I hope you enjoy the show and be sure to provide us with feedback on whichever platform you might be listening with. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and give us your feedback on what you think about the content that we're sharing. Now let's get on with today's show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. Today I'm joined by my colleague and friend Colt Knight. Dr. Colt Knight is uh, at the University of Maine and so we're filming this or recording this actually live from uh, his beautiful scenery in his backyard. Colt, how are you today? I'm doing well. Glad you came up to Maine to see our beautiful weather for the summertime before the snow hits in about three days. Quite a bit different now than what you've had all spring, right? Yeah, we haven't had three dry days to string together this summer. So abnormally wet for you guys up here then. Yeah, the fields are so wet. Even if we wanted to make hay, you, you, you couldn't get the equipment out there because you'd just sink in the mud. Well, we kind of seen a little bit of that driving around. You still see a lot of water standing alongside the road and in the ditches and that. So um, it probably makes things a little bit challenging. But I don't think you get any mud up here, do you? <laughs> He's laughing. So evidently they do get a little bit of mud. That's our fifth season is mud season. <laughs> you, you could probably consider spring and fall mud season and so that is one thing that uh, probably a lot of us would have in common in the kind of southeast all the way up through um, Maine. So one of the fun things that we have this far north that, that you don't experience much of in Kentucky is, is what we call frost heave. The frost line, you know, is generally between four and six feet oh, wow. in Maine. And so when the ground freezes all winter, it just elevates that whole top five or six feet of soil up and in the spring when it thaws it leaves that whole layer spongy so we not only get mud but the whole top layer turns into soft spongy and so oftentimes even if we have a dry spring you have to wait for the fields to dry up and get hard enough where you can drive on them because it will just bury the equipment and if you rut up your, your yard or your fields, then it just stays there. And so you have to repair it or, or deal with the consequences the following spring. I would assume that that heave has some issues on the farm, too, as well, thinking about fencing and some of that. Yeah, fence posts are a lot of fun. Uh, from personal experience, I found I have to sink fence posts four foot into the ground with concrete. Because the frost heave just pushes them out of the ground. Oh, wow. I mean, Jeff and I, you can't see it on the podcast. They're sitting next to a fence I built for my wife's dogs when I first moved to this farm in 2018. And there were a couple fence posts where the digging got really tough because all the glacial till, you know, the soil's 50% rocks. And I got them about two and a half feet deep. And I said, ah, that's good enough. And, uh. Every year, those those handful of fence posts, they, they push out of the ground about three to four inches. No kidding. So what what's another good solution then for putting fences in up here that you found? I think traditionally in Maine, what they would do is sharpened cedar sticks, cedar posts, 
And then they would just take the tractor around and push them in again every year. I I really don't like that solution because when you look at those old those old cedar fences like that, you'll see that there is just cedar posts beside cedar posts because as they rot, they just put a new one in right beside it. They leave yeah. the fence standing. And so when you look at some of those old fence lines in, in Maine, you'll see, you know, a fence post every three feet or closer together. Uh, we've been experimenting with some T-post only that make T-post corner braces and T-post in a line braces. And uh, if you get those two, two and a half feet in the ground, they will move up and down with the frost. Uh, and I've got high tinsel on those. And the test one I have at our teaching farm and the test one I have on my personal farm uh, have held up through one winter. Uh, we're using some uh, T-post insulators out of Indiana called Lock Jaws. Uh, they've been holding up really well in the winter, way better than the yellow ones or the black plastic ones you buy at the farm store. So I think there's some potential there for those to save cost. I did a comparison between a traditional wooden concrete fence versus a T-post only fence for a half acre paddock. And it was $800 cheaper to go the T-post route. And I was able to install that fence in one day. Whereas normally it would take me three or four days because you have to wait for the concrete to dry on the H braces in the corner, sinking those those six or eight inch posts. Yeah, that's a good point. So so quick quick time to put those in. I, I've noticed though you did it looks like on maybe a new new fenced in area you did go back to some wooden posts on those. That that was a wet area. Yep. And the high tensile will just pull those T-posts out of the ground in a wet area. So I couldn't use the T-posts in those wet corners. And then the other issue I had with that particular paddock was the elevation change. There was a lot of slope difference in the corners on that. And I found that those uh, T-post corner insulators will fail if they're at an angle. So if you've got relatively flat ground, they work amazing. Even a slight slope change, they, they work really well. But with the sharp slope changes, uh, they will, I don't know how to explain this, uh, they will bend sideways. Mm, sure. And then, then they will short out against the the T-posts. T-posts itself, yeah. So the T-post solution works good in certain situations, but I don't think it's a, it doesn't fix all of our problems. So it looks like, you know, when you can combine the two, I, I see that you've combined the two. So in relatively well-drained areas that you've got pretty flat level ground, you can go with those T-posts. And when you've got that elevation change, you're putting in wooden posts. Yep. So Basically what I did is I used all wooden posts for the corner H braces. And then all the line posts are all T-posts. And it works works really well. And with the high tensile, I can go 30 feet on centers and maintain those fences. Yeah, so you're really cutting down the number of posts yeah. in between. Yeah, you know, because traditionally you would have a 30-foot wood post and then every 10 feet a wood a T-post, a metal T-post. And I don't know about it in Kentucky, but, you know, a bag of concrete up here is now 6 $7, and you need two bags if you got a four-foot hole. So it, it really gets expensive putting in wood posts. Yeah. 
and we have so much rock from the glacial till here. Digging that four foot hole can be a nightmare. Yeah, that that make, it's not easy to go through rock, S- especially if you like straight fences like I do. So I I don't. <laughs> You know, we don't hit a rock and then say, oh, we'll just move it over six inches. It needs to be in line <laughs> with the rest of the fence. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. So um, let's just follow up on that then. So you're you're using high tensile fence, um, electrified high tensile fence. Yes. So what about your grounding system then? Are you... Luckily, we've got really wet soil here. So I use one eight-foot copper ground rod drove in i know i know in some of the drier places i've I've lived in the u.s you'd have to have like three four ground rods six eight feet apart i have even had a lot of success here in maine by taking a farm gate and just laying it on top of the grass and running a ground ground wire to that because there's so much soil moisture there yeah yeah it'll 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 go through that gate or like a feedlot panel works really well, like a 16-foot feedlot panel. Yeah, yeah. Works really well. So there are certainly other alternatives uh, for fencing. We don't have to have the, the typical fencing. Um, labor, you mentioned the time to put something like that up. I mean, that's, that's a big savings right there in labor. Yeah. I mean, to build that same half-acre fence with wood posts, it would have taken me three or four days just to set the corner post with concrete drying and everything uh, and then digging the holes. With my tractor, my PTO-driven post haul auger, if you get lucky, it takes you 10 minutes, you know, no issues, it just setting up, drill the hole, a little bit of work with the, uh, the post hole auger to hand dig some of the backfill dirt out yeah. worst case scenario you hit a rock and it buries the the auger and you have to go get a giant pipe wrench yeah. and unscrew it back out of the dirt or it bends the tooth i had that happen on this last fence i, I drilled i hit a rock and it bent the tooth straight down oh my and i i heated it up and i bent it back and put a well i guess it in it to kind of hold it and it lasted for about three or four fence posts so I got to get a new auger for my for my tractor. Well, so no, no shortage of, of big rocks up here then. No, we've also got what we call ledge. Oh. Uh, ledge is, for lack of a better term, it is not bedrock, but it acts like bedrock. Because those rocks, those are giant rocks that the glacier deposited. And so they may be the size of your farm. Like half of my farm... I've got about a foot of topsoil, and it's just solid ledge under that. And we we dug a water line two summers ago, uh, and I have to dig it six foot deep to get it low enough where it doesn't freeze. And we were pulling out, I think I pulled out granite, limestone, shale, sandstone, and quartz. Wow. And some of those granite boulders we pulled out were a ton they were more than my tractor would move like i couldn't move them with my tractor. i had to tie a chain to them and drag them because i couldn't move them with the bucket not necessarily easy job then putting in a water line here is it no no that was an issue 
we we rented an excavator for a week to put in 650 foot of water line. Wow. So everybody's got challenges. It doesn't matter where you're at. <laughs> oh shoot. I, I miss the days living in Appalachia where you could dig an 18 inch water line or something, you know. Exactly, and not have to worry about freezing nope. in the winter. Hmm. So on on this system here, then on your fence system, are there any certain things that you learned along the way to uh, make it easier to put in, or do you have any quick tips for people to think about if they're going to look at this? It's worth the expense to buy the uh, the gas-powered T-post driver. And you might think, because I, I work by myself most of the time, and at the teaching farm, I put in a about an acre large system, and we were hitting so much compacted rock, I couldn't hand drive the T-post. We brought the bobcat up, and the bobcat would bend the T-post. It wouldn't drive them into the ground. I started sharpening the end of the T-post so that we could drive them in with a just a handheld T-post driver. And someone suggested that I look at the gas-powered one. And so I, I ordered one of those. It is a 40-pound. They come in 30, 40, or 50-pound weights. I got the one in between because I, I thought maybe the 50-pound might be too much to lug around. But I didn't want the smallest one either, so I went with the 40. I put 35 T-posts in in less than an hour. Wow. And that tough. And that, that, that ground that I couldn't drive them in with a with a bobcat i i could drive them in with that no problem at all and what's really nice if you hit a rock with that gas powered deflector it'll just deflect off the rock and drive straight into the ground and because it's a metal t-post you can just bend it back straight sure yeah yeah i don't care if it's crooked under the ground (laughs) as long as it's straight above ground and so i don't have any issues putting in those t-posts with that that driver well, that's a good tip. Um, labor savings, time efficiency, and sure you're maybe paying for that, but you might be able to find one of those to rent from somebody. Yeah, a lot of places will rent those. A lot of rental places rent those. And you can buy the refurbished ones, too, from fence supply companies for, you know, about half of what a new one costs. I think I paid around $600 for that thing. But for me personally, going from a day and a half of hand pounding, and I've got neck and shoulder issues from an injury uh you know that would that would lay me up for the rest of the week so you know you work hard for a day and a half and then you're laid up for a week because because the physicality of driving that fence post and now i don't even break a sweat driving t-post just right in the ground and what's really nice you can you know i put my four corners in with the t-post and i run a string and then i don't have to to really measure anything else you know you can just you use the t-post as a corner brace with that t-post system and uh, you just put the you just hand hold the t-post up there and then you put the other one along your string and then you just drive it straight in yeah and then then i can step off 30 feet and lay out a t-post every 30 foot and then then go around with the driver and just put them in oh that's a great tip and and something time-wise um you know, you think about the time. If, if you can nail down those and get those drove in that quick, that saves you that much more time that you can be stringing your high tensile and get that yep. fence up and going quick. Yeah, and I, I'll take a piece of uh, 
PVC pipe or conduit, and I'll take electrical tape, and I'll, it's called a tick stick, where you wrap certain distances for my insulators, so I can just hold that PVC pipe with that tape up beside my T-post and clip on all my insulators, uh, and then I just string it as I go. With high tensile, it's, it's tough to bend them in, but you can thread it through like a needle really easily. And on those T-post insulators, you can go around two corners. Any more than two corners, it's too much friction. So you gotta, if you got more than two corners, you gotta pull it through and then get some slack and then pull it the rest uh, of the way. But what I like to do is I will go around two corners on both sides and then I meet in the middle on the back side. So I don't have to, to do that. And then I put a spring tensioner and a ratchet tensioner on each one of those. And I put them at the 150 pound per square inch mark on the T-post because at the 250 pound mark, it will start ripping the T-post out of the ground. Sure. But, but for the short runs I do, there's no, there's no reason to go that high. I, even the fence post, even the high tensile fence manufacturer will tell you, you can have a three inch sag and it's still fine in effect. I don't have any sag in mine, but at 150 pounds. And having a little lighter tension too, if you have deer issues and that that don't see it and they run in it, run through it, they won't nope. bust it through or pull up the corner. Pole. I've never had a deer, and we have we have pretty large deer up up north here. You know, some of them are 250, 300 pounds, a lot bigger than the southern deer. They have to be bigger to survive the harsh winters. I've never had one run through and break my T-post high tensile fence. I've had some trees fall over on those. And I've, I've just cut the tree away, and the fence sprung right back up. Sometimes it might push the insulator down, but that just takes two seconds to go slide the insulator back up the T-post. That is a nice thing with the high tensile, right? I mean, that's what it's designed to do mm -hmm. is to give the opportunity for it to rebound in an issue like that. So with your, uh, with your other high tensile, what are you doing then for gates? Are you using high tensile gates? Are you putting in... A standard gate? In those I, I put in a standard 10-foot or 12-foot farm gate. And uh, the first couple T-post-only systems I used, I ordered some T-post gate hinges. And they work fine to hold the gate open and if you don't open it and close the gate a lot. So if you, if you only really need to go in there a couple times a year, you don't even have to drive a wood post for your fence gate. But if you're going to be opening that on a daily basis, you'll waller the T-post out. So you need to put a wood post, at least for your gate, one side of the gate. And then on the other side of the gate, instead of a chain, uh, I get one of those two-way fence farm gate latches. Yeah. And I mount that to the T-post. If you take an inch and a half U-bolt and a piece of 2 by 4 you can mount those things right on a T-post. And so I can open my gate both ways. And I run one hot wire behind the gate to keep the animals from rubbing up against the gate. And that saves on your post in there. Yes. Yeah. So you just gotta gotta reach through there and unhook that, and then it can go down, and you can swing your gate open. And, yep. Yep. Perfect. That's some good good uh, kind of things to think about when we're trying to put fences, because at least in our area, a lot of those fences maybe 40 50 years old and they're getting a little mm -hmm. bit ragged and so um 
you know, it's it's an opportunity to think about what we've got out there that's new, um, technology-wise, that you can come in here and save some money, but get that fence up pretty quick, too, so you're yep. up down and losing that field for a long period of time. Fantastic. Well, Colt, um, this has been a great discussion on, on high-tensile fence options for even, you know, places up here in Maine, but also something that everybody across the, the, the region and and U.S., of course, like you said, you may have to change your ground systems a little bit depending yep. on where you're at. Um, but where you get plenty of moisture, have plenty of soil moisture, those you know those ground rods um, don't have to be quite as you know, extensive as they would say out in a semi-arid region in, yep. in the West. Any last things that you might share in your experience with this system? I I found if I just spray the fence with some some herbicide and it keeps all the vegetation off of it, they are virtually maintenance-free throughout the year. And then after the the frost thaws and all the snow melts in the spring, I, I can go through and retighten the fence, and that's all I've had to do so far. I've, I've not, not had much continual maintenance. It's been a lot easier than my woven wire fences that I've had up here. The frost just tears those woven wire fences up. And then the snow, you don't think about how much snow weighs, but you know, as that snow starts melting and drifts through your woven wire fence, it can tear up the fence just by, just by melting off. I really, really liked going to high tensile. It's, it's been relatively maintenance free for me. So, And I guess the other thing is ice. You know, you mentioned snow, but you get a lot of ice. Yeah, you get right? a lot of ice. So, so you can get some weight pretty quickly on that with a mm -hmm. heavy ice storm. Yep. So uh, if, if folks wanted to learn more about uh, what you did here and, and that, do you have some materials? That I have a YouTube video, Alternative Fencing Methods, that that kind of highlight that uh, T-post only system and compare it to traditional wooden H braces. And it's got the cost breakdown of the materials and time savings and everything on that video. And so how if I went to YouTube, what, what words would I throw in there to search for that? I think that's the name of the video is Alternative Fencing Method. And, and search for University of Maine or by Colt uh, Knight? Or? I think that one's under my personal one, so Colt Knight. And that's oh. uh, C-O-L-T-K-N-I-G-H-T. That's correct. So those of you wanting more information, go, go look at that uh, video and see what Colt did here and, and learn a little bit about some of the insulators that you're using and mm -hmm. those, T, those corner braces for those T-posts that are pretty easy to put in. And uh, maybe you can find that useful and give it a try in your own operation. Well, Coat, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your knowledge uh, with us on these alternative fencing systems. Again, this has been uh, the Beef Bits podcast coming to you from up here in the north. And, uh, and we've been up here in Maine. And so uh, we'll have a couple more of these that we'll do and, and share with you as we go through and we'll talk a little bit about the beef industry on the next one um, for those of you that might be interested in what the beef industry is like. So, Colt, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate y'all joining us up here in Maine. Thank you for listening to this session of the Beef Bits Podcast. I hope you found today's episode informative and that it added to your knowledge of beef cattle management. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released. And if you haven't listened to the previous sessions, be sure to go check them out. For more information on beef cattle management tips, stop in and see your local county extension agent. 
If you have questions, you can also send them to us and we'll be happy to reply as soon as we can. Take care and we look forward to seeing you in the future.